Uh, all right. Um, we are going to go to the Bible. Please open up your Bibles to the Old Testament in Exodus. Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to be reading from verse 1 through to 6. Exodus chapter 33, verse 1 uh, through to 6. Uh, Please follow along as I I read. I'll be reading from the ESV Bible. As a reminder, this is the Word of God. Verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. Verse 4. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, you are a stiff-necked people. If for a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Verse 6, therefore, the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. Amen. Good morning. Um, I hope we can survive uh, this weather and um, no one falls asleep. Uh, if the person next to you starts falling asleep, ever so graciously give them a nudge. Um, understandably, uh, it's a bit hot, but um, yeah, hopefully we can stick through what will be the third and last kind of sermon on this idea of uh, walking with God. And so two weeks ago, I said that you know, I want our vision this year to be walking with God, a year of walking with God. Oh, yeah. And uh, today's sermon is titled, uh, God With Me. Now, I want to ask you a question, and I think this question is a really important one. Uh, When I thought about this question this week, it kind of really made me think, and I struggled to answer it. Um, I thought really deeply about it. I looked deep in my heart, uh, because I feel like if you can answer this question, it will answer a lot about your faith. And the question is, would you be content in heaven without God? Uh, Would you be content in heaven without God? That's the question. Would you? I was reading a book this week, uh, last week I think, uh, unrelated to the passage we're looking at, totally random book, and in it I found the perfect quote uh, that just happened to be by John Piper. So I'm going to quote John Piper. It's not on purpose. Um, You might think my bookshelf only has the Bible and John Piper, but this was actually a not John Piper book. The guy quoted John Piper, but this is what John Piper says. He says this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied in heaven? 
if Christ was not there. But if you could have all those things that heaven promises, but Jesus or God was not there, would you still be happy? And would it still be good enough? Would you be content? Now, I think we all know the right answer. We all know the answer is meant to be, oh, no, no way. Oh, I don't want a heaven without God. But I think if we uh, explore deeply into our hearts, uh, it's a much more challenging question. And maybe our answers won't be as confident. Now, today I've got two questions I want to put before you. And that's the first one. Would you be content in heaven without God? This is really the question that the people of Israel were faced with in the passage we just heard. Now, I'm going to give us a bit of a recap uh, to understand the context that led up to the passage we heard in Exodus 33. Now, if you don't know, the book of Exodus uh, finds the God's people, the people of Israel, uh, as slaves in Egypt. Right? Pharaoh is you know, the, the ruler of Egypt, and the people of Israel have been there as slaves. And so they're hungry, uh, they're in oppression, uh, they're being persecuted, they're dying. It's a really bad place that they're in. And so God sends his leader, Moses, to set his people free. And so under Moses, uh, there's the ten plagues uh, that you may have heard of. And eventually it leads to the parting of the Red Sea. And so Moses leads the people of Israel, right, by God, through the Red Sea. And as they depart, the army of Pharaoh follows. God collapses the Red Sea and the army dies. And so God, in his goodness, has sent a leader to save his people from slavery under Pharaoh. And God's plan is that they're saved from slavery to go to a place called the promised land. But that's the destination that they want to get to. It's like paradise. But between slavery and the promised land, they've got this season through the wilderness. The wilderness is tough. It's testing. Sometimes it's hunger and thirst. Sometimes it feels like God is far. But that's the wilderness. Now, it's way better than slavery, but it's not as good as the promised land. And that's really the book of Exodus. And that, um, I guess, analogy, that picture is, is an analogy for the Christian life. We are people who were once slaves, not to Pharaoh, but slaves to sin. And God has sent his leader, the perfect leader, Jesus, to save us from slavery to sin. And God has saved us to send us to a promised land, paradise. Right? We call this heaven or the new heavens and new earth. But between slavery to sin and heaven... We're in the wilderness, right? Our time on earth is a time of testing. Sometimes it will be troublesome. Sometimes we'll suffer. Sometimes we'll hunger and thirst, right? But that's where we are, and that's where the people of Israel are. Now, in the passage that we're looking at, right before it, God calls Moses up to the mountain called Mount Sinai. And God is going to give Moses and his people his laws and his Ten Commandments, you know, that he etches in stone. And this is God's love. God in his love is teaching his people how to lead themselves. They were slaves for so long, they probably don't know, you know how to live, how to live in harmony with each other. So God gives them these rules that they might live in harmony with each other and harmony with God. But as Moses is up there with God getting these instructions, we read in Exodus 32. Now, if you've got a Bible, you want to turn to Exodus 32. This is the chapter before the one we just read. And in verse one, this is what it says. We're gonna read verse one to six. 
It says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron. And they said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Moses is gone for 40 days, 40 nights, and the people are like, where is this guy? Oh, we can't, we can't wait any longer. They go to Aaron and they say, make us gods. We want you to make us gods. And so verse 2, Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with a graving tool, and he made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And so the people of God, unwilling to wait, go up to Aaron, make us gods. They take off all their gold. He fashions it into a calf and they say, this is now our God. This is the God that saved us from slavery. Let's worship it. And they offer offerings to this golden calf. Right? And as we hear that, we're like, oh, how dare they? Such horrible people. How can they be so impatient? How can they be so quick to turn away from God? But the reality is we need to humbly acknowledge that we're not that different. Right? Often we're impatient with God. We're unwilling to wait for God to you know, answer prayer or to show up. Right? Can we wait 40 days and 40 nights for you know, answered prayer? Maybe not. And we too quite quickly turn away from God to other idols, right? other loves, things that we worship and cherish more than God. Right? And so again, our situation isn't too different from Israel. And understandably, God's angry about that. Right? He's trying to teach Moses the law out of love for his people. But while he's teaching them, him that, like they're all like off you know, loving other gods. And so we come to our passage in Exodus 33, the one we heard that Peter read. And God makes an interesting offer to them. Verse 1 to 3 of chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, depart, go up from here. You and the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your offspring, I will give it. I will send an angel before you and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff Necked people. I don't know if you caught it there, but God's basically saying to Israel, which is interesting because he should just, you know, destroy them all. And there is a bit of, um, I guess, uh, judgment that came in the chapter before. But now he's saying, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to give you Christmas. This is, this is lotter. You're going to win the lotter. I'm going to give you the promised land, right? The land flowing with milk and honey, a land of peace and prosperity. A land that where you no longer need to wander around without a home. This is going to be your home. And when you land there, it's going to be the best place ever. I want to give you everything that your heart has ever hoped for. But there's one small catch. And the catch is, I won't be there with you. You can have the promised land, 
but I won't be there with you, right? Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you. What would you have said if you were in the shoes of Israel? The question is, really, would you be content in paradise or heaven without God? There are many reasons why a person might want to go to heaven. Heaven is so filled with promises and good things. We want to be saved from our sins, saved from punishment, right? away from my past mistakes, freed from the guilt I carry. <clears throat> I want to be away from pain and brokenness <clears throat> in this world. Maybe we don't want to go to hell. You've heard that there's two options at the end of the day and hell doesn't sound so good, so I'd rather pick the other one. And fear alone can drive a person to church, can drive a person to maybe even Jesus or desire to want to go to heaven because I'm afraid of hell. People want to go to heaven because they want peace. Maybe they want to see external peace because this world is a war and hate-filled world. Or maybe they don't just want external peace, they want internal peace in their hearts and their minds, in their anxiety and their worries. I just want to be in a place where I have peace. I want to go to heaven. Maybe we want to go to heaven because we want prosperity. We don't want to struggle with poverty. And in heaven, we will never hunger, we will never thirst, we will never want anything. We'll have it, everything that we've ever needed. So I want to go to heaven for that. Maybe you just want to live forever. Maybe you want to fly and you think you can fly in heaven. I don't know. You want to eat some clouds. Maybe you want a perfect body where there is no disease, illness, or age. There are lots of reasons why a person might want to go to heaven. What is your reason? What do you long for? When you think of heaven, what brings you the most joy? And what do you expect most when you get there? Maybe for you, it's one of the things I named. Maybe it's a few of the things I named. And maybe if you had that, you would be satisfied even if you didn't find God there. Would you be content in heaven without God? Now, the people of Israel, despite their most recent failures and their idolatry to the golden calf, uh, they actually repent and they wake up to their foolishness. And this is how they answer God. And this is the right answer. Verse 4 in Exodus 33. And again, I don't have slides because I want us to... Oh, all right. I see. Okay. Okay, well, it's up there, verse 4. Thank you for being helpful. Um, when the people heard the disastrous w word, <laughs> they mourned and no one put on his ornaments. It says they, they heard this disastrous word, they mourned. And they, they take away right, all of their ornaments, right, because it's an act of repentance. This is serious. This isn't a time for joy and celebration, Right, they're sorrowful. You see, Israel uh, rightly acknowledges that the promised land without God is not a place they want to be. Right? Paradise without God is not paradise at all. And so if we can have everything, but God is not there, well, we don't want that. And that fills them with a sense of mourning. Right? The promises of heaven are wonderful. 
We should long for the things I named for, named like freedom from sin and living forever. But they are not the greatest gift waiting for us in heaven. God's greatest gift to us is himself. And we must believe that. And we must be able to say, if God is not there, then that's not where I want to be. Even though I can have it all, if God is not there, that is not paradise for me. Would you be content in heaven without God? Is a really important eye-opening question for us to answer. I think it's worth us, you know, even after today, to sit on that and ask, would I be content in heaven without God? Now, if I'm honest, when I sat down to think about it, uh, I kind of found it hard to answer. It was hard to imagine heaven. We've never been there before. Imagine what it might be to be in a perfect place. Imagine what it might be to, you know, have a perfect body and not to have pain or tears or struggles. And as I reflected on how I could answer this question best, I found something very interesting later down in the passage. I found something interesting in the way Moses responds. And so we're going to go to verse 15 to 16. That may be up on the screen. This is how Moses answers. And I think it really captures the heart of a Christian's response. It says, verse 15, And he, Moses, said to him, God, this is what Moses says, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Now, I don't know, it's, it's hard to kind of pick it up, but I want to remind us what God's focus was this. God's focus was the promised land, the end destination, the place that the journey will lead them to at the end. And God's promise was all about that. I'm going to give you the, the finality of all of the promises that are for, for you. I'm going to give you that end destination. But if you look at Moses' answer, he doesn't even mention the promised land at all. God's, uh, Moses' answer has nothing to do with what waits him at the end. Moses' answer is all about right now. He says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. From here. Right? Don't worry about what's waiting for me at the end. Don't worry about what's waiting for me at the end of my journey. I don't even want to start the journey if you are not with me. That's what he's saying. I don't want to move. I don't want to budge. I don't want to take a single step if you are not with me. Don't bring me up from here, let alone get me there. But I think if we asked Moses, would you be content in heaven without God? I think he might answer something like this. Heaven without God, I'm not even content to be on earth without him. Right? I'm not satisfied to live another day without him. I want him now and every step of this journey until the end. Right? For Moses, it wasn't enough that God would send an angel. He wanted God himself. 
For Moses, it wasn't wasn't enough that the angel would make an easy path for him to get to that final destination. He wanted God himself. And so in verse 18, it's not surprising. What Moses says, in verse 17, God says, basically, he says, okay. But then in verse 18, Moses says something weird. He says, God, please show me your glory. And it kind of seems like an out-of-place request. He's talking with God about, you know, I want you to go with us. But then he says, please show me your glory. But I think this is really the heart of Moses. At the heart of Moses is a man who just wants God. He simply wants more of God. He doesn't want um, to live forever. He doesn't want paradise. He doesn't want prosperity. He doesn't want freedom from pain. Not Those things are insignificant to what he might really want. What he really wants is God himself. He doesn't want just God at the end. He wants God right now. He wants God every step of the way. And so we ask God, God, what I want to do is that I want to see you more. I want to know you more. God, would you let me have that? Charles Spurgeon calls this the greatest petition that man ever asked of God. Right? The question, God, can I see your glory? Moses was a man that wanted God above all else. And he wanted him right now. I want to know you, God. I want to walk with you. I want to be in your presence. I want to see your glory. And I want that. Not just when I get to the end of my life. I want that right now. Here's the second question that I want to ask you. Are you content on earth without God? You see, I think this question will help us answer the first one. Now, I said I struggled to answer, will I be content in heaven without God? But I think if you can answer this one, it will give you the answer for the other one. Today, as you live your life, as you start 2023, are you satisfied in a life without God? If God could give you your answered prayers, right? If God could give you the hopes and the desires that you long for, if God could you know, fill up every lacking in your life, if God could give you all of that today, but you did not have God today, would you be satisfied? Or are you living a life content without God? Or are you like Moses who simply longs to have God right now? Do not take me up from here unless you are with me. I don't want to take another step in this life unless you are with me every step of the way. There's two challenging truths that we found. The first is that God is the greatest treasure we can ever have. Right? God is the greatest treasure we can ever have, and so I will not be content in heaven without God. But the second truth is, is that a person who will not be content in heaven, if God is not there, is a person who is not content on earth without God. It's the same person, and it's the same answer. Can we confidently say that we need God in heaven if we are happy to live without him on earth. Right? Could we really say that despite all of the treasure and joy that we will get in heaven, 
God's the greatest treasure of them all, when on earth, with our lesser treasures and our lesser joys, we can't say God is better than all this. Right, because heaven's gonna give us much better things. But if on earth, God's not better than all the things on earth, can we really say when we get better things in heaven that God's better than those? If we don't spend our days on earth walking with God, what makes us so confident that we would even like to do that in heaven? I said this year, I want it to be a year of walking with God. In one way, uh, it's just a call to everyday Christian life. It's just what we should be doing every day. It's what we do today, tomorrow, and it's what we're going to do for eternity. But is that what you long for in this life? Is that what you long for in this year? Moses' response should be at the heart of every Christian. I think every Christian, in an ideal world, right, not to make us feel bad, because even for me, this was really challenging. But ideally, if someone were to ask you, if you got to heaven and God wasn't there, would you be happy? We should be able to say like Moses, I I can't even live a day without God. I'm not happy on earth if I don't have him and I don't sit in his presence. You know, this is what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians 1.21. It's one of the most simplest and challenging verses, I think, in the Bible. He says, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. To me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, those two things are connected. The Apostle Paul, when he says to die is gain, he's saying when I die, it's better. When I die, I'm going to get more than I'm going to lose. Which is really a um, fascinating thing to say because when we die, we lose everything, right? Everything we own. Everything in our bank accounts. All that we've built up in this life. The only thing we get more of is God. So when Paul says, for me to die is gain, it's only because for him to live is Christ. Dying is gain for Paul because all that matters is Jesus. It's God above all things. He's the greatest treasure right now. And so as he lives, his greatest joy is to be with God and to know God and to speak to him and to to walk alongside of him. And because that is true, when he dies, heaven is going to be great because he's going to get more of God, right? That is the heart of the Apostle Paul. That is the heart of Moses. And that is the heart of the Christian life. Now, this isn't just something that is good to have as a Christian. It's not bonus or extra points. This is what Christianity is. This is the essence of our faith, that we have God and that we are in his presence, and that we walk with him. Moses says this in verse 16. It's so simple and kind of so obvious. He says, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses says, it is you, God, with us. That makes us, us. That makes us different from every other person in this world. When you think about what it is to be a Christian, what makes us, us? 
Why are we here? Why do we call ourselves Christians? Why do we say we believe? What makes us gathering here in this room different from every other person in this world? It's not because we have a building. It's not because we're gathering on Sundays. It's not because in our name, we have a cool name, and at the end of it, it has church. Not because we have a website. It's because we have God. It's because we have God. And we're with God. And He's with us. And we know Him. And we relate with Him. And we speak to Him like we speak to a father. That was last week. That's what makes us different. That's what what makes us distinct. What makes us Christian is not that we read the Bible. Non-believers read the Bible. Academics break apart the Bible. That's not what makes us Christian. The Bible gets us to the essence of our faith, which is God himself. Our praying doesn't make us Christian. A lot of religions pray. What makes their prayer different from our prayer? Our prayer is different because our prayer draws us to our God. We have God, and so that's what makes us different from everyone else on this earth. What makes us different is not that we sing. We sing at karaoke. We sing in the shower. If you want to sing, you can sing in many different places. If you just want to sing out words to an empty space, what makes us different is that as we sing, we're in the presence of God. That is what makes us us. If we don't live that out, we're no different from everyone else out there. And we've lost the core essence and the heart of what it is to be Christian. In the busyness of life and in the busyness of church, I think it's often easy to forget what's at the heart of our faith. And maybe even those things that I named, Bible, prayer, singing, gathering, church, it gives us a false sense of assurance maybe that we're doing the right Christian things. But Bible, prayer, church, singing, if it doesn't have your relationship with God at the heart of it, then it's just stuff. And really, it's a wasted time. What makes us us is that we have God. And the heart of our prayer should be, God, I need you here, and I don't want to take a step if you're not with me. And so that's the heart of what I want to leave you today. Two questions. Would you be content in heaven without God? Now, the answer should be no, because God is our greatest treasure. But our answer to that question is really found in the answer to this one. Are you today content on earth without him? And if we're not, quite probably you won't be in heaven. And that is definitely worth reflecting on. And your heart would need a reorientation uh, today. Two weeks ago, I said that this year's vision is a year of walking with God. We looked at Enoch. Uh, He's a man who walked with God. He's a man who spent his days. That's all we know about him. He walked with God, and then he didn't die. And I said that I think God didn't let Enoch die because he was already doing on earth what he was going to do in heaven anyway. He was walking with God on earth. He was speaking with God on earth, but he was loving God. And so 
he took him to heaven so he could keep doing what he was doing just in a different place. And that sounds a lot like Moses, doesn't it? A man who didn't want to take a step unless God was with him. A man that wanted to not only spend paradise with God, but right now and every step until he gets into paradise. And this is what I want for us, to walk with God. Right, last week I talked about how we can relate to God as Father. That this isn't a transaction. This isn't just knowledge for us to understand. Again, it's this relationship. Jesus was scandalous when he stepped into this earth because he called God Father. And then he took it a step further and said, I want you to call God Father as well. I don't know if you did that this week. If you spent time this week calling God Father. We called him maybe dad, maybe he called him daddy. I don't know if you did that. I, I, I challenged myself and I did that every day and I feel like closer to God than I did before. Just, just in terms of that relationship, to have that intimate relationship. And again, doesn't that sound like Moses, a man who wanted to see the glory of God more than all the treasures we can have. It is you, God, that I want most of all. I want us to make this a year of walking with God, where we will enjoy Him every step of the way. And that every step of the way, that we will not be satisfied unless God is with us. And then I think if we stepped into heaven, or if we stood in the gate, before the gates of heaven, we would be confident. We could confidently say, it is God that I treasure above everything else. And I would not be satisfied if God is not there with me. I'm going to leave us with a simple application. Pray every day to your Father. Again, if you didn't do that last week, I want to encourage us to do that this week. But as you do that, I want to encourage us to enjoy His presence. Enjoy God for God. Not for what God might give you. Not for the prayers that God might answer. Not for the wisdom that God might bestow upon you. Not for the clarity that God will give you for the decisions that you need to make in your life. Not for even the maturity or the transformation that God might bring about in you as a person. That as you pray every day to God as Father, that maybe you sit there and enjoy God Himself. Because He alone is our greatest treasure. And sit there and say, God, you're my Father, and I want to enjoy you and delight in you. I want to delight in the fact that you are with me, that you never leave me. I want to deepen my knowledge of you. I want to see you more clearly and fall deeper in love with you. I don't want to take another step unless you are with me. Show me your glory. All right, can we make that our prayer this week? Let's close our eyes and let's pray. As we pray, again, we're going to pray to our Father. Maybe we can pray to your dad. Uh, if you speak another language, you can use that word I said last week. I prayed this week. I called him Abonim. That's Korean for Father. Just to try to not get so um, comfortable. Because it is a scandalous thing that we can approach God this intimately as Father. Maybe you can call him Daddy. And as we pray to our Father, can we enjoy Him for Himself? 
Maybe we can repent for the other golden calves that we have lifted up in our lives so quickly. The other loves that we have loved and the other treasures we have treasured more than God. Can we cast them aside? Take off all of our ornaments and mourn that we would ever be content without God in heaven or on earth. Maybe ask God to help you to delight in Him, to understand what it is to walk intimately with Him, to feel His closeness and His presence. Maybe you don't know how to relate with Him. Whatever you're thinking, I want us to lay it down before God. Enjoy His presence and to press deeper into His presence today. Let's make that our prayer. Let's pray.